This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements to help power their copper mine at Olympic Dam in South Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com slash critical to find out more. Anthony Albanese claimed victory for Labor in the recent federal election. He acknowledged the traditional owners of the land and committed to delivering the Uluru Statement from the heart in full. In this shortcut, we're going to take a look at the background to the statement, what that means and how it might be delivered. Squiz Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. It's been five years since 250 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leaders gathered at the foot of Uluru in Central Australia for a constitutional convention. What came from it was a majority resolution that was captured in the Uluru Statement from the Heart. So, Claire, let's start with what it is. It's quite a short document. It's just 440 words and it's across 12 paragraphs and it covers three things – voice, treaty and truth. Uh, So just to expand on that, it's a call for the establishment of a First Nations voice in the Australian Constitution, a Makarrata Commission to supervise uh, a process of agreement making and truth telling between governments and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. There's a lot in there to get across, but let's start with some context. That convention in May 2017 was preceded by years of work and discussion and consultation and wrangling by Indigenous leaders and governments over the reconciliation agenda, which, if we put simply, is about strengthening relationships between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and non-Indigenous peoples. And that, of course, is preceded by Australia's colonial history, which is stained by land dispossession, violence and racism against Indigenous Australians. Uh, It's widely agreed that since the 1970s, many significant steps towards reconciliation have been taken. But there's a long way to go towards the very simple but elusive goal of giving Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children the same life chances and choices as non-Indigenous Indigenous children. To look at moves in recent times, one part of the reconciliation agenda has been to move towards the recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in the Australian constitution. And in 2012, Reconciliation Australia, which is the lead body working towards reconciliation, started the Recognise campaign. Yeah, the Recognise campaign was funded by the federal government and it had a very specific focus and that was to raise awareness across the Australian community of the need to change the constitution in advance of a referendum. And over the five years it was in place, there was plenty of criticism, including from Indigenous leaders. Uh, But Reconciliation Australia says that it did its job with awareness levels rising from 30% to over 75% of the population. During that time, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull worked with Labor leader Bill Shorten to appoint a referendum council whose job was to advise the government on steps towards a referendum to recognise Indigenous Australians in the constitution. 
And that built on the work of many other committees and councils and expert panels that came before it. Uh, And in 2016, the Referendum Council released a discussion paper that was designed to guide nationwide consultations on constitutional recognition. That included things like an Indigenous voice to Parliament and other reforms. And what came from these consultation meetings was a document that then became the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Let's get into the ins and outs of that now. First Nations National Constitutional Convention met over four days from the 23rd to the 26th of May 2017 to discuss and agree on an approach to constitutional reform to recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Delegates were selected from participants in regional dialogues that were held around the country. And what came from it was the statement from the heart that calls for structural and constitutional reforms to improve the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So the statement doesn't go into the fine details of any proposed changes, but it does cover the areas that those Indigenous leaders gathered hoped would become the foundations of a conversation about constitutional reform and recognition of Indigenous people. Uh, And it also goes beyond that. So just for some context, there was a lot of talk about the limitations of constitutional recognition in overcoming the social and economic difficulties faced by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and the structural impediments to real empowerment. Yeah, exactly. And you know how that goes. Um, Sure, you might put a line into the constitution recognising Indigenous Australians, but how does that actually help one person get a job or get educated or get fairer outcomes in the justice system and on and on? And that's where this statement from the heart goes beyond the brief. Sure, it talks about recognition, but it also seeks to give Indigenous people more power. So let's start with the call for a voice or, to be more expansive, the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution. So what has been proposed is more than just a line in the Constitution that recognises Indigenous Australians. What's being pursued is the establishment of some form of representative body uh, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people uh, that would provide the Australian Parliament with non-binding advice on legal and policy matters. And that idea came from Noel Pearson's Cape York Institute back in 2014. And the idea is that it will give Indigenous people a say in how government decisions affect their lives. But the thing that has been a sticking point is the proposal for it to be a constitutionally enshrined institution. Then Prime Minister Turnbull rejected it, uh, saying that it would be like a third chamber of the parliament. But after that, the Minister for Indigenous Australians, Ken Wyatt, got involved and a model emerged of a body with regional and national Indigenous voices that would be legislated for. And then if we fast forward to now, the coalition has lost this election and Labor supports a constitutionally enshrined voice to parliament. So we're going to see how that evolves. And it is worth noting that other nations have some working examples of giving their local Indigenous people a voice to parliament. Yeah, there's First Nations parliaments in Norway, Sweden and Finland. And in New Zealand, seven of its seats in the parliament are reserved for Maori electorates. 
Despite the examples and the process behind the proposal, it still does have its critics. Yeah, it sure does. And a lot of that comes from coalition MPs and senators who are wary about enshrining an Indigenous voice because they say that any proposal that would impinge on Parliament's supremacy goes against the foundations of our Liberal democracy. And there is another very practical element to this, and that is that a referendum needs to be held if it's going to require a change to the constitution. And with constitutional change comes a campaign with advocates giving a case for and against the proposal. And there's very little appetite for a vote against what's meant to be a move to empower Indigenous Australians. So there is going to be a lot of work required to get it right. Okay, we've covered the voice part off. Let's move on to the treaty and truth elements of the Statement from the Heart. Before we get into what might be in the news next week, a message from our podcast advertiser, BHP. This week, they're keen to share with Squizzers how the resources they mine are key to the energy transition to renewable energy. Yeah, we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role resources play in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure as well as in bridges, transportation, hospitals and schools. And a big part of it comes from iron ore. BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Australian iron ore is clear. And by that, they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port Hedland. It's happening now at BHP. And if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes. Claire, when it comes to a treaty between Australia's First Nations people and the government and a truth-telling process, a good place to start is Yothu Yindi's hit song from 1991. Yeah, and that's my recommendation sorted, so thanks (laughs) for that. (laughs) Um, Let me read some lyrics from the song. I'll spare you the singing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it goes, uh, well, I heard it on the radio and I saw it on the television back in 1988. All those talking politicians, words are easy, words are cheap, much cheaper than our priceless land. And what Mandawoy Yunipingu is referencing is the Barunga Statement, which was presented in 1988 to Prime Minister Bob Hawke. Uh, It called for a treaty with the Commonwealth Government. Hawke promised to negotiate a treaty, but it didn't eventuate. It has been on the agenda ever since. And what was proposed by the Statement from the Heart is a Makarata Commission. Just explain what that's about. Makarara is a local word meaning coming together after a struggle, and it also includes the healing of divisions of the past. What Noel Pearson says it's about is acknowledging wrongdoing, and it also seeks to make things right. So the idea is a Makarata Commission would be formed and it would be tasked with seeking agreements between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and the federal government. And a big part of that process is the Commission would oversee these truth-telling activities that would see the sharing of historical truths, uh, revealing injustices committed against Indigenous people. And then the idea is that we can all come to grips with what happened in our history and move towards true reconciliation. And a version of this is already happening in Victoria. It's called the Yuruk Justice Commission. Yuruk meaning truth in one of the local Indigenous languages. Okay, Claire, we've covered off the context to this. Next question is, 
When is all of this happening? Because Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is very keen. Yeah, so there's a few moving pieces to all of this and Mm. it's not really a simple yes-no proposition. Uh, There's some tricky legal issues and don't forget about the politics. Mm -hmm. Um, The leaders of the Uluru Dialogue, which is a group of Indigenous and non-Indigenous leaders involved in the statement, uh, have suggested two dates for a referendum uh, to be held on the voice part of it. That's the 27th of May in 2023 or the 27th of January in 2024. Linda Burney, Australia's new Minister for Indigenous Affairs and a Wiradjuri woman, says May next year is a possibility for that referendum, but she is also keen to advance the Makarata Commission and wants to begin work to create both it and The Voice at the same time. Yeah, she says that a strict sequence isn't necessary, uh, but Albanese has previously avoided committing to a firm timeline and there is a push for there to be bipartisan support, particularly with what's put up in a referendum. And that, of course, will take some political wrangling. We mentioned before that advancing the cause of Indigenous people is the name of the game. Just on that, where does the coalition line up now that it has lost the election and has new leadership? So newly elected opposition leader Peter Dutton says that he'll talk to Albanese about Labor's plans for a referendum on constitutional recognition for Indigenous Australians. Uh, Dutton, of course, boycotted Kevin Rudd's apology to the Stolen Generation when it was delivered to Parliament in 2008. Uh, After he was made leader, he said that it was a mistake and that he did it because of his own experience as a police officer in Townsville, uh, where he said that he saw a lot of domestic violence and other problems in Indigenous communities. Uh, And he said that at the time he felt that an apology should be given when more had been done to fix some of those problems. He says he's keen to find out more about Labor's position on implementing the proposals that are flagged in the Uluru Statement, but he also wants to see practical action. And we should probably also point out that not all Indigenous leaders agree with what has been proposed in the Statement. Yeah, that's right. And like with any group, there are differences of opinion. Uh, One critic has just been elected to the Senate, and that's country Liberal Senator Jacinda Price from the Northern Territory. She's a Walpiri woman. Uh, She says that it's a distraction from more important issues facing Indigenous Australians. So overall, there is some way to go to lock it all down, but this is your shortcut to the Uluru Statement from the heart. Now we'll get on to our recommendations. Well, Claire, you've claimed the Yothu Yindi song, so I'm going to go ahead and recommend the actual statement. As we said, it's just over 400 words and it is worth a read. It is. That's a good one. Yep, that iconic song Treaty is my recommendation. (laughs) It's such a good track. It really did take me back to that part of time. Uh, I'll also recommend a link to get to know some of our Indigenous MPs and Senators. Uh, The last election saw the total number of Indigenous parliamentarians rise to an all-time high of 10. As always, I'll pop these links in your episode notes. You can also find Squiz Shortcuts episodes on our website if you would prefer to have a written version of this or if you want to share it around with people. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. If you have something you'd like us to do a shortcut on, shoot it through to hello at thesquiz.com.au. We love hearing your ideas and suggestions for what we can do. Until next time. Hey, 
Kate Watson, co-host of News Club and The Weekly Wrap, jumping in here to say thank you for listening to our podcasts first and foremost. And if you like them, we'd really appreciate it if you could share them. Tell your mates about us. Tell your family. Tell your barista. Tell your hairdresser. Whoever you think might be interested in the news that we cover. You telling people about us is still the number one way we grow. Thanks in advance.